Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Can you see it? Did you comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser in with a shot he scores a moment's notice at arm's You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I, don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted him in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals. Cutting in. Shoots. Scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to, I guess, the final episode of the Canucks Conversation for the regular season. The week is over. We made it through the final few games for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we are at the end. My name is Chris Faber. Joining me in studio here is Harmon Dial. Our producer is Alex Allard, who's a minor soccer fan. Uh, this show is presented by the great folks over at Zephyr Epic. And I think you can tell now from YouTube, and I wonder if you can hear it differently on the podcast, I've got no mic anymore. I got my headset here, which I'm feeling pretty good about. My left hand feels so weird because it's always holding on to the mic. And like it's been like that for years and years. But when I started the show, and you'll remember this, you were on the first, you were on the fifth episode of the show when it started. It was just like a mic standing alone. I didn't have to hold it. But then for about, geez, it would have been about 350 episodes of this show, which is a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. I've had a mic in my hand, but I got this headset now, and I'm very happy with it. 
Well, like my left hand does it. You know, like when you lift weights and you lift like a heavy. It's like swinging a bat in, in baseball. I don't know if they do this in cricket, but you put like a weight at the end. So you oh, take a yeah. couple warm up swings, and then you put it down. You take the weight off, and the bat feels light. My left arm feels like I could pick up Rogers Arena right now with my hand. Like it feels great. It feels nice. Yeah, Donnie and Dolly vibes with the headset. Yeah, I like it. I hope it doesn't affect the audio too much because I know the mics are, are awesome for picking up audio. So far, it's so good. Listen, I spent some money on this. This wasn't a $40 one. I have a $40 one. It sucks. I was going to give it to you. I had a, another crappy one, but I don't even want to. It's horrible. Harm, how you doing? Season's over, baby. Yeah, now we begin the uh, annual big summer for the franchise. I mean, it's funny to hear uh, Rick Tockett sort of emphasizing, you know, how many times he's brought up a big summer for the players. It's a big summer for management in deciding uh, the next chapter uh, for this uh, for, for this Canucks team after I think what we can all agree was um, was a disappointing season. And uh, in typical Canuck fashion, we see all these lows throughout the season, <laughs> and yet they don't even finish with the top 10 draft pick. Typical Vancouver. It is, and that's uh, that is our first topic on the show here. The 11th best odds, the Vancouver Canucks. They're in the lottery for Connor Bedard. It just could not get any worse. They are the they are the lowest percent of landing the first overall pick. They have a three uh, percent chance of landing Connor Bedard. It's it's tough because they're in the mushy middle again. As the season concludes here, you're in the mushy middle again. The Vancouver Canucks with a three percent chance of moving up and getting the first overall pick a 3% chance of moving up and getting the second overall pick. Uh, we see Alex Allard, our producer here, ripping through uh, Draft Lottery Simulator. He could probably do it, you'd have to do it about 20 times. More than that to get uh, your odds right on that. So it, it is what it is. Hey, we, we were saying this weeks ago, they were sitting at like 6%. We're like, yeah, that, that works. That works for us. Um, but at this point, hey, the season's over. I think that is, to me, the best thing about last night's game was that Hopefully you can move on from what this season just was. Because you mentioned it. We heard Bruce Boudreaux say it at the start of the year. It would be disastrous if the Canucks missed the playoffs this year. He couldn't have been more correct with his assessment. The Canucks missed the playoffs this year. And I think one of the words you can use for this season is disastrous. Yeah, no doubt. And, and we saw all um, all sorts of different drama, right? In terms of... The way that, for example, the Bruce Boudreaux firing was handled, I don't think that left a positive impression on, um, you know, on the rest of the hockey world. Uh, we, um, you know, the, the the way the Tanner Pearson injury was uh, was dealt. Um, you know, the uh, the Rachel Dory um, human rights uh, complaint that was filed. Right. The point is, there's been a lot of drama beyond just what's happened on the ice. Which I think has compounded um, compounded things, and um, it's at least I mean, what you're hoping for at this point is at least some of the positive vibes you got at the end with, you know, Elias Pettersson crossing the hundred point mark, with uh, Thatcher Demko finding his game again, uh, with the club at least showing some level of improvement under Rick Tockett. Mm. All you can really hope is that it translates. Like I really hope it translates because <laughs> let's be honest, like. After the way that they've gone about things, even even going out and aggressively making the Philip Peronic trade, uh, cl- clearly sort of you know putting themselves in the spot where they where they're eleventh from bottom. And look, nobody expected the Canucks to you know totally bottom out and be let's say a bottom three or four team, but there was a legit shot for them 
at one point to be a bottom five, bottom six team. Yeah, there's points in the season where that felt like that's the way it was going to go. And, and there's even, a lot of excitement there. And the other thing, too, is it's not just about Connor Bedard, right? Yes, that's that's the big prize is, is Bedard and enhancing your odds. But I'd also much rather just draft fifth or sixth overall than 11th, right? That's that's a big part of it, too. Um, so after all that, like, this better freaking translate to next season. <laughs> Otherwise... Uh, otherwise, I, look, I don't even want to think about um, what will happen if it doesn't. If uh, if the team has uh, another type of start as um, you know as they did um, this year, and, and and that's why there's going to be a ton of pressure on management to find uh, find solutions. I find it almost like uh, you know the carnival games. There's like the one where you shoot the basketball. There's the one where you like throw the darts at the balloons. The draft lottery and the way that the draft works is more like the balloons. It's like you don't have to make the perfect shot like you have to do in those basketball games at this, you know, uh, down at the PNE or wherever you're going. You don't have to make the shot. You just want to throw that dart and have it hit something. And with the Canucks, it makes it very difficult with the 11th spot because there are about seven guys in this draft that are very high in the upper echelon of what you're getting as a prospect. After that, there are some players that. If you're looking at a position of need, it's more of something you can fill with that pick. Like, the 11th overall pick isn't going to get you a top 10 player in this draft. They're going to go. Like, that, they're all forwards, and they're all going to go. That's at the time of the draft. It's about how you develop players from there out, and that's going to be very interesting to see what the Canucks do with that pick. Is it spent on a defenseman? Is it spent on a center? They, they can't use this pick to draft a winger, which I think you take I, that I out. No, if, if it's the best player available, you take the best player available. Really? I don't yes. know. Yeah. I don't know after 10. I, I'm a little bit different. I understand yeah. first-round pick. Take it. I get the, the notion behind it. I don't know. I don't know if I, I would know. do that. I, look, from my perspective, the Canucks took that standpoint. In, and obviously, it was a higher draft pick. It was fifth overall in 2016. But they sort of took the, oh, we already sort of have a power forward in Jake Vertanen. We don't mm. need Matthew Kachuk. And so we what we really need is, is a defenseman. So they took Yulevi over Kachuk. Like... Just take the best player available. This, this team isn't just one piece away. This team, if you land another star, even if it's a winger, you, you take that all day and you run. If, you, if you're telling me it's a top five pick or a top ten pick even, and even in this draft I feel like it's top seven, I'm 100% with you, best player available. But I don't think you can for sure tell me that the winger that's available at 11 who is the best on people's rankings will be better than the defenseman that's there at 17. Because I really think this draft specifically, after you get out of that top eight, I really think it could, there's a lot of pretty good talent, but they're all kind of in the same class. Like from in this draft, it feels like from 10 to about 40, which really sucks that the Canucks gave away their second-round pick, because then you're probably finding best player available at 40 who feels like a first-rounder to you. But in my eyes, this draft, like I think the Canucks would really benefit long-term from drafting not necessarily forcing a position, but if a position presents itself and you have to make an argument and, hey, maybe this prospect's a little bit higher up in our projections, I, I would go with the player on 11. I'd be Like, I would in this situation. Yeah, I understand it if it's a sort of like, if all else is very similar, then that could be a decisive edge. And for sure, it's preferable if the players available at 11 end up sort of filling the, the needs that the Canucks have on the back end and, and down the middle at center ice. Uh, I, I just think you have to be careful not to sort of force it. And, sure. and that's always... That's the key. That's always you can't glory. force it at that point. I, I do agree with The you other point, that. too, is people say, oh, who cares? If they're 11th as opposed to, let's say, you know, 5th or 6th overall, uh, or even 8th, 
I'd like to point out the 2019 NHL draft. The Vancouver Canucks loved Trevor Zegras. I know this for a fact. I've spoken to people in the front office because I did a, an article last year on hypothetically what, what could the Canucks have looked like? Who could they have drafted if they didn't consistently fall in, in the draft lottery every year? Um, that must be fun to write. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a cool hypothetical. Uh, and... I guarantee you if Trevor Zegers was still on the board and he obviously ended up going to uh, going to Anaheim one pick before the Canucks, the Canucks would have taken Zegers. See, like they they love they were all over Zegers. So it's like in that in that type of scenario, one pick, could, could you imagine the difference between like I look, I you know, I, I love Vasily Podkolzin, but could you imagine having Patterson and Zegers down the middle? And I'm not pointing to that as an example of, oh, the Canucks didn't tank properly that year, that's their fault. Right, because I don't think the Canucks necessarily had control over that in that year in terms of where exactly they they drafted. The point is just to illustrate that, yeah, sometimes the difference in a few draft draft slots here or there does matter. To that argument, then for best player available, you could say I think going into that draft, Vasily Podkolzin was higher ranked. There was questions about the KHL, but as a player, you could say, like in my eyes, Podkolzin was a more valuable asset to pick. Than Trevor Zegras at the I time. I don't at think the it draft, was a consensus. I, so. I don't think it was a consensus. I can agree with that. I mean, I like. I but remember. But does the Russian factor not come into equation there? That's well, where I well, think. Even outside of the Russian factor, yes, there was a lot of buzz, no doubt, about Pod Colson. Sort of earlier in the year, people looking at him as a potential top five pick. But Z, like a lot of people looked at Zegras in that sort of way too. And I remember when I can't remember who it was. Whoever picked seventh after that, I had a tweet that all right, the Canucks will have a shot at uh, at one of. Zegras, Caulfield, or Boldy. I think yeah. I tweeted something like that. I didn't even include Pod Colson on there. Hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously Zegras ended up going, but the point was still like, I was looking at the U.S. national team development program guys and being like, oh, like that's, that you know, they got a shot at one of those guys. Honestly, going into the draft, Pod Colson wasn't on my radar in terms of like, a, I expect the Canucks to take him if he's there at 10th overall sort of thing. And no, I, I, I definitely disagree with it. I, that's what I thought of the draft. I didn't know what to make of of his situation because of the Russian factor, but I would heavily disagree with the with the notion that he was the that it was a consensus. I think it was split. I think it was like it depends on how and how you would view it, and um, and yeah, even internally, the Canucks definitely valued Zegers ahead of Pod Coles, and so right, and that and that's where it ultimately comes down to is how Vancouver would value. You brought it up like Zegers would have been a great option. He's more of a center, that's for sure. Um, it, Tough, tough to go back to that draft because it's like that United States national team, seven, basically half of the first 15 picks. Yeah. Seven players of the first 15 came from that United States national team development program uh, organization. Incredible stuff there. I think just with this pick, and we'll talk about the draft pick a little bit here, with it being 11th, I think opens the door even more for us to see a trade happen. And is that what I want? No, I'd like a prospect. I'd love to see David Reinbacker be there. This is why I'm telling you, maybe not best player available, but best uh, player. I like Reinbacker. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the thing to be like. I think he's going to end up going top ten. Yeah, like I, I think he's the, the rise. Exactly. Like I think that's an like. There's always a defenseman mm-hmm. that teams reach for. Of course, they always re- like we saw it with Sider. We saw it with um, Kurchinsky last year. There's always a, re- a defenseman that that uh, people reach on, and Ryan Backer is the consensus top D. Yeah, 
Well, it's like what Alex is. Alex knows this. Our producer from Ottawa, Jake Sanderson, going fifth overall, right? Like that's that feels go. like a little bit of a stretch at that point, especially looking back now at that draft uh, and seeing some players that went later on. There have been massive impact players. That's what's going to be interesting. It's like today, the day that we are in currently, April fourteenth. We're looking at the draft rankings. We haven't yet had the opportunity to evaluate playoff play. And one thing I know about general managers and how they are going to evaluate draft prospects, and listen, it's Patrick Alvin's call here with the 11th overall pick. He's going to either use it to draft a very high-end prospect, or he's going to use it to trade for a, I would say, pretty high-end NHL player that's going to play on your roster next year. These are the options for him. I also think it's, like I said, with playoff play coming up for a lot of these guys, whether it be CHL play, overseas, um, anywhere where they're playing hockey where these top prospects are at, the playoffs is going to have a massive impact on how general managers view them. And a lot of these players haven't had that chance yet. They haven't finished. The SHL is still going on. Al Svenskin's still going on. Uh, CHL is just starting to warm up into their playoffs. So it will be interesting to see how different you're looking at players by the time we're actually like two weeks out from the draft. Like, are there actually defensemen in the conversation for the top 10? Because aside from David Reinbacker and maybe Axel Sandin Pelica in certain people's eyes, like, I don't see a defenseman going into the top 10 in this draft. It's just so full of forwards, specifically a lot of centers. So that's the way I look at it. It's like, I don't think that best player available has to be the way you look at it with 11th. I think you can go, but you mentioned it. Like, you can't force it. If it's something that presents itself to you, and it is, hey, listen, we like, uh, I'll just use Jonathan LeCaramacchi as an example. Like, we really like LeCaramacchi. We think he's a top, let's say at the, at the time the Canucks were like, he's a top seven talent in this draft. We're going to draft him instead of maybe reaching for the guy who's about 18th, like in an Owen Pickering type of situation, the, defense, the big defenseman last year. Would they look better on today's day if they drafted Owen Pickering? Maybe Pickering was the captain of his team in the OHL. He played really good, tons of minutes, Team Canada, all that stuff. Lakari Mackey didn't have a good year. This is one year out. It's hard to really figure out who's going to be the better NHL or even one year away from the draft. And I think that's what makes it so difficult with the 11th overall pick is you're out of that high-end elite class of this draft. You're really starting to get, unfortunately, into like the mushy middle of the first round pretty much. But the Canucks have put themselves there from being in the mushy middle of the standings. So I'm going to be very interested to see what they do. I think with it being 11th, though, and we'll have to see what happens with the draft lottery, it's still possible, it's all possible that they can go move up, and it could be Fantilli or Bedard, and we'll never have to have this conversation again. It'll, that would be awesome. But I, I think with them sitting at 11th, it, 11th overall pick feels like one that gets traded. It just has that feeling to it to me. No, no. no? Like, you're no, not no, even going to no, entertain no, this? No, I, I think no, it's no, really possible. No, I, I'm not, I'm not um, sort of disagreeing with the premise. I, I absolutely, like, that's a worry. I'm saying no in the sense of, like, I really hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, like no, is it like please no? Like that's that's what I was saying. No, um, um, like that's what I meant. God, no. I think that's well. Here's the thing about eleventh, and I see some people in the chat mentioning this to trade down from eleven. That's the other option. It's like, see, I wouldn't mind that. Do at you all. really believe that eleven is that much better than twenty in this draft? Oh, I, I personally see, for don't. that. I I, yeah. I have no problems with, especially if. Considering you've already traded your second round pick away, if you look at it as there isn't a significant drop off between let's say eleven and even you know twenty, and you net an extra let's say second round pick for it, you add another high end prospect to your system. I'm one hundred percent on board. I I what like for sure consider it. Yeah, sign me up. But just don't trade it for a, a player, the who's left like, shot guy to play with Heronic. Yeah, you know. please. 
Not a guy who's like 23 and and who's already off his ELC or like 20. Like, no, please. You, you, you just can't build a cup contender trading your first round pick away every year. No, because it's something you and I touched on about a month ago was not evaluating players just for the, what they do on the ice, but really general managers who are doing a good job are evaluating value. And that's what is that's what they're building their team off. You have incredible value from an ELC. Like is that that's yeah. the best value you can find in the NHL right now is getting a star on their ELC or a guy who just even shows well. Like I think that's that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot is these players on their ELCs. Yeah, you get a McDavid, you're like, okay, awesome. Bedard's going to be incredible on his ELC. He's going to be so valuable. But look at some other players who are like good examples. Like you know, Brady Kachuk's first few years in in on in Ottawa on his ELC, like really making a massive impact on a team. And I know that's a top five pick, uh, a little bit kind of different at that point, but what's another example? Like Even like a Brock Besser when he sure. arrived in the league, like yeah. off his ELC, it's like if you get a guy who can... Well, think about Noah Dobson, like what yeah. he did. In it. Like these type of players on their ELCs are so important. There's such value there that you're throwing that value away to make the trade. But I, I guess at that point you're making the argument of, okay, it's still a little bit worrisome. Like, hey, Vitaly Kravtsov was a top 10 pick. You didn't do anything on his ELC. You'd get a better thing if you traded that ninth overall pick for, let's say, Philip Ronick at the time. You would be happy with those three years. It, it, there's just a lot to manage for this team with that 11th overall pick. I just feel like when it sits there at 11, it has trade written all over it for me, man. The fact that it's not a top 10 pick, it has trade written all over it. Whether it be a trade-down option, I, I think sure. that would be fun. I uh, think that would yeah. be good. Sign I'd like up. to see. I, I'm down for that. I don't think that's the outcome with the trade. I think the trade is for a player. I think this team wants to be competitive next year. We have media availability this weekend on Monday. We have uh, the general manager and the head coach. It'll be interesting to hear their answers when asked questions. You're scaring that. me, Faber. You're Dude, scaring me. Hey, I'm a prospects guy, Harm. I scare my. I go to sleep thinking <laughs> about this type of thing. I woke up in the middle of the night last night uh, sweating about, uh, you know, Kirby Doc getting moved for that pick or something. I can't, like, I can't, I just can't do another sort of um, year of like hyping up some just like, you know, having, you know, somebody like Jack Rathbone being like a top five prospect in the system. Like, like, please. Right. Harm, give us some buddy, actual you're preaching to the choir, brother. <laughs> you know, I would love, I, I think the fact that, and I know we, we mentioned you guys posted your uh, your top 10 count on the prospects. Yeah. Listen, Atiratu is a good prospect, but this is, to me, this is very different from even the time when Pod Colson was the number one prospect. Yeah. Or obviously when Pedersen was your number one prospect, or when Quinn Hughes is your top. This is completely different levels where yeah. Atiratu is. And I think if you can find that guy, it, it's the same thing that happened last season, right? Like going into the draft, we all said, everybody said this, whoever they draft with that 15th overall pick immediately becomes the top prospect in the system. I feel like it's the exact same way moving forward here, but I'm curious to see what the organization thinks of, are there priorities about building the prospect system right now? Because it still needs help. You still want that number one guy and you can find him in this draft or is, are the priorities from the team to be competitive next season? The thing about the draft is it's very difficult to find the types of um, like trying to find a young top six center, for example, on on a bargain co- contract. You're going to have to draft that guy. Nobody's yep. going to trade that guy. Mm-hmm. A legit top pair defenseman who's young, and, and I'm not talking Phil Pronick in already in his mid twenties, young. But I'm talking about somebody who 
like Quinn Hughes can be a pillar on your defense. Maybe not as good as Quinn Hughes, but sort of like, I mean, age-wise, sort of coming in and giving you such a long window of value, you're going to have to draft that guy. You're like teams aren't going to trade that sort of um, that sort of piece piece away. Even like it's just at the very top end of the lineup. When it comes to the rare players that truly move the needle for a franchise, you're generally going to have to draft those guys. It's it's not easy to find um, you know those solutions on on the trade market, especially when you're a team that the Canucks don't have a lot of expendable trade chips beyond you know their own draft picks which considering the state of the prospect pool they shouldn't be dangling in the first place and considering the lack of cap space mm-hmm. no i completely agree and with the point about quinn hughes think about it he's been what he's had four seasons four full seasons he was here for the little bit at the end there you haven't paid him 20 million dollars yet for his services that's the value we're talking well, about. not only that when you don't draft and develop them and i've made this point before the Canucks under Benning were not able to draft and develop any defenseman besides Quinn Hughes. So what happens? Mm-hmm. Then you have to go out and overpay in free agency. So you sign Tyler Myers. Then you have to trade for a risky contract like Oliver ekman Larson because the only way to acquire a player of that perceived caliber in your eyes is to take a bet on a risky contract. Yeah. And so you look at where the Canucks are at as a mess today with their cap situation a big part of it is because they could not draft and develop defensemen, which was created in part because the Jim Benning regime traded away draft picks like candy when they should have been rebuilding. And hey, you move a first and a second. I'm not saying that this management group has done that and moved draft picks like candy. But I swear, you move a first and a second, that that should really, in my eyes, teams that are moving first and second round picks, that signals what this is, what this organization is all about in the here and now, and that's winning. Yeah, you don't move first and second round picks if you're not here to win right now. And I think that's what worries me about this next pick is what's listen. If if it was a sixth overall pick, say that's where the Canucks are picking, I don't think there's a chance they're moving it. Yeah, with it being eleventh, I can totally see it. And as much as we would like to see them trade down and add a second or add a second and a sixth or add a, a pair of thirds, anything, I don't know if that fits with their vision of winning now. I don't think that. I think if you're if you're talking about a you, listen, what I say say what you want about like the best player available at eleventh and all that. If you're picking a player at eleventh, there's a better chance he's in your NHL lineup before the guy you pick at twenty first. It's just the way yeah. it's probably going to go, and it's likely that you're getting an NHL player quicker with the eleventh overall pick than you are with say the twenty third and then like the hundredth and the in the fifty fifth. There's a better chance. So I I think that's what makes me think that trading down is probably at the bottom. Of, of actually happening with this organization. Unfortunately. We'll see. Yeah. It, it sort of depends, too, because every team's draft board is different. Yeah, that's true, too. So if uh, if they look at somebody in, who's probably going to go in the 20s as as having better... Top 10 talent. Yeah, top 10 talent, then they may not view that as a step back in terms of, okay, this guy's going to take a lot longer to develop even. Yeah. I can I agree, and that that probably comes in the equation again is what position you're drafting to. Defensemen are going to take longer, especially if you're getting a defensive guy. Or what's their situation with? Are they playing in Europe? Are they in pro hockey? Are they in junior hockey? They're going to college. Like, there's a lot of things that come into the equation. Luckily, we have a long off season to talk about draft stuff. Let's wrap up a little bit more from the season here. Um, I do want to pull up the final twenty games from the year where the Canucks played pretty well. 
They had a 13-5-2 record over the final 20 games of the season. Here's the interesting stat from those 20 games. Of the, of the 13 wins they had, I circled them here for everyone on YouTube, they only beat three playoff teams in those 13 wins. So, hey, a 13-5-2 record, is that good, Harm? You're a numbers guy. 13-5-2 yeah, is a pretty obviously. good record. I would take that. The unfortunate thing is, we all talked about this at the halfway point of the season. We talked about this when Rick Tockett was hired. This was not going to be a tough schedule that really challenged the players to step up and play in these big moments. And in the big moments they had, they only beat playoff teams three times. So how much can you really take from the final 20 games here and think that it's sustainable, it can be moved into next season? We touched on a few things off the top. Pedersen's play, Demko getting back, that's all great. JT Miller playing a little bit better. But is there anything else you can take away from these past 20 that are actually, in your eyes, for sure going to happen next season on this team that are positive? Well, the most important one is Demko. Yeah. Right? Especially coming back from injury. If he struggled down the stretch again, we'd be we'd be hesitant. Right? We like you'd probably even have conversations about like some would wonder should they trade like should should they trade him? Yep. Uh and and of course now it's like there's no chance of, of that of that happening. That's huge because this team to win something next season, they're going to need exceptional goaltending. It's the bottom line. And the form that he showed was um, was the Demko that we're used to. So I think that's the most important takeaway in terms of what I'm confident in will actually translate to next season. Beyond that, obviously, we know Pedersen and Hughes were fantastic the whole season, as was Kuzmenko. That'll translate to uh, next season in terms of you know th- that trio being... Um, uh, being able to drive the bus for this team offensively. Obviously, JT Miller sort of turning things around. That's huge. Yeah, That's important because if he struggled at center through the second half of the season again, especially after trading Horvat, and you're looking at, at him as, oh boy, might have to play him at wing. That's where he's better at. Then all of a sudden, red flags. You're you're really worried about the situation. So I think that's important. Um. Beyond that, from a team perspective, because of the soft schedule, because we saw them going to tear into Boudreaux and it didn't translate to next season, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to try reading too much into it both ways, right? I'm not going to look at this and say, oh, this is phony. This doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. because the club did show strides in terms of playing more responsibly, playing a more diligent style under Talkit. And I'm optimistic about the impact that he can have next season. But these games also don't mean anything they're against softer competition uh, and we've seen that this group last year struggled out of the gate when when the games actually mattered so I'm, I'm not going to read too much into it from a team perspective I think what I'm questioning for next season specifically from the the pushover from this year into next season there was a lot of talk about this being an extended training camp this being a time for the players to learn the system a little bit before I think that that can help more with Talkit than it did with Boudreaux, so I will, I will be optimistic about that. But I also wonder if they did enough in these final, however many games it was with, with Talkit here, about half the season. Did they do enough to really exhaust all avenues of making this a training camp? Did they give players opportunities enough? Like, they did a lot of. Like, hey, listen, Akito Hirose getting a chance to play NHL minutes late in the season – top four minutes, really, 
him on the power play. That was all great. But did they do enough trial and error from the current roster that they have to think that that is like a training camp going into next season? I don't know if they did enough just trying different things in the final games here. I feel like it was more about this training camp, and maybe that's our, maybe that's my fault from the way I would read how I'd like to see a team operate in a training camp. Maybe this was more about all about the structure, how this team wants to play, what you have to do in certain situations instead of just giving bodies different opportunities. Well, also don't think that, um, I mean, with Pod Colson, I think that was one example where before he went down with injury, I would have... It felt like early under Tockett, he was building confidence. And then even in the Nashville game, he scored, for example. And I was like, beyond just the goal, his play has looked a lot better. Maybe this can be a point for him to really regain that confidence. And then he was back playing seven, eight, nine minutes a night. So that was the one area that I looked at and disagreed with. Beyond that, there wasn't a lot. No, I think they did a fine job of it. They just didn't. Right. Like, I don't look at Vitaly Kravtsov, for example, like, like what? He didn't yeah. do anything to deserve a greater opportunity. Uh, I think the um, thing that I'm picking apart is very small. It's like yeah. why didn't McDonough get on the power play in that spot that he was yeah, really good fair. at? Why didn't we see more? I guess opportunity for Jack Rathbone maybe to see no, what he looks like in a coach. Like, yeah. I, like I said, I'm kind of. I just don't think here. there were like I didn't see anything among the blue line prospects. You know, in terms of like, oh, why didn't they give that guy an opportunity? Because. Um, I understand why the organization is down on um, Rathbone, especially now sure. that they already have a uh, Hirose and among the forwards besides Pod Colson. And like you said, maybe a bit of an opportunity on second power play unit or a little bit more time with, let's say, Connor Garland for uh, Aiden McDonough. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't really look at that as um, as a failure on the coaching staff's uh, mm, part. I got a good one here from Nick that I got to bring up. Sorry to cut you off, but Pod Colson on the penalty kill would have been something yep. there. Yeah, um, that was that's a great example from Nick in the chat, uh, and a lot of people chatting about this in uh, in our YouTube chat. And if you're not live on, I see a lot of people on Twitter live as well. I just saw I didn't know the numbers on the Twitter live, so that's cool too. Uh, but with with JT Miller's future now, for him to be a Vancouver Canuck, he needs to be a center. Do you think that these conversations with JT Miller happen in the off season where the team is exploring? I I hear some of the stuff that Frank Cervelli is reporting about this where, you know, he said this yesterday on Halford and Bruff, that two first-round picks, they were starting to talk about the Jason Zucker money, how they're going to move that around. If they were getting that far on it, from these reports from Frank Valley, I, I can't see a world where you wouldn't trade JT Miller for two first-round picks to but reset who, your roster. I, I don't but understand, that, like, who's going to trade your two first-round picks? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I'm listening to Pitch, Frank Valley saying this on, on radio. Yeah, that's a good point. So I feel like... You know, if the Canucks were looking for more than that, that's what blows me away a little bit. I guess the Zucker money somehow mixed into it. I don't know. I feel like there's too much. I don't think it's possible to. I feel like there's too much. um, Like, and I and and I understand it, but there's too much speculation for me to look at that and go and be able to assess. You know, a what his trade value is definitively, and what teams are going to pay for him, Uh, and uh, and b like. It's clear that they had some level of conversations and they went pretty deep with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't know. Do you have it any just, other team that would make sense? Well, I see a lot of people mentioning uh, we have Seattle being mentioned, St. Louis, Carolina. Carolina feels like one to me that I would want to explore a little bit. They might need to re-up there a little bit. 
They I don't mean, strike I, me as a team that's going to give up. No, and like, I don't think so. Two either. first round I, picks. Some of the stuff I've heard is they're not. They're a team that, uh, as though it makes a lot of sense in some people's eyes, I don't think there's any interest from the Carolina Hurricanes to get JT Miller. Yeah, so that's just what I've heard. I'll be honest. I have. I, I don't know how this is going to play out, mm-hmm. especially because he's shown a lot better under talking down the stretch. I don't, I genuinely don't know, especially because you're already short of center. So if you're a retooling team, having already made the heroic trade, mm-hmm. trying to be successful for next season, are they going to feel confident in being able to replace Miller's value? And, and now you'll just have Pedersen down the middle? Here's the argument against that. You trade Bo Horvat, you think this team's into rebuilding situation. And the one consistent thing with the Vancouver Canucks over the past few years is their inconsistency. So I like I, nothing would shock me at this point. Oh yeah, like it nothing wouldn't would shock, shock me. me. I'm just saying I don't know. Like I genuinely don't know one way or another how they would uh, view all of this because uh on the other hand they may also look at it and go nobody has a problem with JT Miller's point production this season. Right, he was right around a point per game. Like, honestly, nobody, nobody expected him to repeat ninety nine points. So, point, point, point production this year, check mark. Problem is the two way form. Even with the, the surge that he had down the stretch, you're talking about a player who I think before last night's game at five on five was still outscored by thirteen goals. Mm-hmm. So. You know, like that you were still, you didn't win those matchups. And it wasn't by. There's points in the season you're looking at the Canucks like expected goals per 60 against, and JT Miller is by and far the number one at worst in the league for expected goals against. That's before. Yeah, and it's like. So you can can half check mark, uh, you know, that with talking at least. Right. But not a full check mark. Yeah. So it's like, how do you view that? Especially for a contract that hasn't even kicked in yet. That's the craziest thing of this so, whole thing. So, <laughs> like, that's, you know, like, you can you can make a convincing argument both ways. Mm-hmm. And that's why I look at it and I go, especially for management, it seems like they themselves have <laughs> have always, you know, kind of flip-flopped it, right? First, first, he was supposed to be a trade chip, and we had all those rumors at the last trade deadline, and I... And I know that even internally, they they thought it was more likely that they were going to move Miller than keep him. Like yeah. at that time when they took over and they were approaching, not this past trade deadline, the the first one that Alvin and Rutherford had, they figured that Bo Horvat was more likely to be a long term Canuck than JT Miller. One guy had a C on his chest, the other guy was, you know, and, both were expired. Yeah, so and then yeah, the deeper they got into trade conversations and realized that okay, they're probably not going to get quite the return they wanted in terms of win now pieces. I think that's when they went, all right, this guy's a ninety nine point player. Like, let's just lock him up, right? Yeah. And then, of course, at the deadline, you hear you hear the rumors from a lot of insiders that they at least had talks. So it's like they were open to it even after the after the Horvat trade. But then now he has this great stretch run again. So, you know what? Like that's why I'm like I have no idea. That's my honest honest answer. No. I have no idea. No, I completely agree with you, and I think that's uh, something we'll be talking about a lot uh, in the off season. We haven't ironed out our off season plans yet, but I plan on doing this with you. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we'll do it every week, but. When there's some sort of news, we'll have to get together. We'll talk about that after the show, and then I'll get that put out. Next week, I need to hear Friday, just so you know. Yeah. So we'll see about that. Uh, let's move on. I see Alex is getting pissed off in the chat here. He says, you know, he wants to get to the quiet story. Um, and I thought we could bring this up because, uh, listen, we've had uh, some back and forth, some positive, some negative. This is a spot where we can be positive for a little bit. Talk about a storyline from the season that you thought was something that didn't get talked about a lot, probably got a little bit of conversation. I'm not telling you to dig up some brand new storyline and tell me it on the show here, 
But I'm talking about a quieter story that impressed you this year with the Vancouver Canucks. What's one that comes to mind when I say that? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, it's funny because in Vancouver, there's usually nothing that's quiet, right? Like <laughs> yes, normally, that's true. Normally a player like Dakota Joshua might fly under the radar, but not in a market like Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, when a guy wins an Unsung Hero Award, it's like, yeah, everybody knows he's been good. Everybody knows that's quietly been a good story. So I sort of had to think deeper. And for me, it was the performance of quad A players, the sort of bubble guys that you would look at and how admirably they filled into NHL roles this season. Especially, it didn't matter this year because the Canucks weren't even close to the playoff picture, but that's... Those are the little margins that make a difference when you're actually in a dogfight for a playoff race and you end up with getting hammered by injuries and you know guys are sort of out of place. Uh, looking at somebody like Sheldon Dries coming in and providing competent bottom six uh, bottom six minutes. Did he did he cross ten goals this season? I believe he got. Yeah, I think he did. I, I, I think he did, but anyway, I got like, two hands to type now. It's yeah, great. I can like, be all quick. Getting that value out of a guy who makes nothing against the cap, a guy who can play wing and center. Um. You know, that's yeah, 11 goals on the year. That's aw- that's awesome from a player who's making league minimum. You need that, right? As opposed to a guy who you call up and, you know, you get you get no production out of. Uh, Phil DiGiuseppe coming up mm-hmm. and proving himself as uh, a possible bottom six piece uh, moving forward. To add to your quad A players, you can probably add in Hirose into that and just say Hirose. non-NHLers. Yeah, like Hirose, that, you can change your uh, there, Christian yeah. Wolanin. Like, mm-hmm. let's go, Christian Wolanin. I can't believe I'm hyping Christian Wolanin up. In yep. the sense that we're, we're hyping up a guy who's probably just a number six defenseman. But, mm. hey, he was good. Let's see him. <laughs> and looking even at the way that uh, Juleson came up, uh, Breezebaugh came up. One of the guys I was going to mention was Niels Amon fitting in. And, listen, yeah. I know the offense wasn't there. He had four goals and 12 assists on the season. But there were the things that, that Patrick Alvin talked about. We heard Bruce Boudreaux talk about this and Rick Talkett as well. Like, at least Niels Amon was always on the right side of the puck. And it feels like you can see that throughout the year where – when he goes into a corner battle, there's a lot about body positioning with him. And yes, there's a lot of things he needs to learn about the NHL, how to score goals, how to put up points. But I think you can put Niels Amon in that conversation you, too. You need call-ups that don't look out of place. Bingo. You need guys that don't kill you. Not every team has that. The Canucks have had that this season. Yeah, and, that's a, and where do you put all of that success on? Because I would say that's a good job on the pro scouting group. Yeah, for sure. That... I think um, the allure of having Abbotsford so close, mm. 
big time. Uh, as a farm system and the development resources and investment they've put into the minor league uh, system and it's, it's sort of to create this environment where it's appealing for players that are on the bubble to want to sign with the Canucks organization. Uh, that obviously relates to recruitment. And um, yeah, I think it's those two main elements. Okay, I, I'll do a quick one. I'm just going to say... And I've said this a lot about uh, the team actually doing a rebuild and, st- and situations like that with how the organization has to move. But I think with a certain player, they've done this in the fact of, you know, pulling back the string a little bit, not keeping them in the action, taking them out to work on their game, like the way that they're developing in the AHL. And Niels Huglander is kind of a name that I have to bring up off the top because this is a guy who probably can play on. Man, like saying two thirds of NHL rosters, this probably feels low to me. Like I think Neil Tuglander could fit into lineups on a lot oh, yeah. of NHL teams. The fact that they wanted to really develop his game and they were comfortable with how development was happening in the AHL, specifically under Jeremy Colleton. I've heard it from these players all year long. It was a great conversation with Daniel Klimovich I had the other day about that. Like the fact that they did commit to that. And Neil Suglander didn't get a call up at any point during the season after he was sent down. There wasn't like a little, even like a, a two week stretch where they gave him a shot again. They really just sent him down there to be like, hey, there's things that you clearly need to work on. The fan base could see that. The fan base could also see the skill in his game. I think I'd give him props to that. That's one of the underreported stories I've talked about is Neil Suglander because he's not going to get a lot of praise. But in my eyes, like this, this is going to be a long term thing that helps him with him going down to the HL, having this type of. First line minutes, power play time, extra space with the puck on the power play in game action. That makes a difference to how a player develops. And then on top of that, we didn't, I didn't even mention like the defensive side of things where I really think he has made improvements as the season's gone on. So good on them for that. I think that's another kind of storyline of, of the AHL has been talked about and how much praise Abbotsford gets from, from a lot of people about how they've developed players this year. I just think Neil Suglander is an interesting one there um, for one of the underreported kind of quiet stories from the year. Yeah, especially since he was initially fast-tracked, so... Uh, to yeah, because that him... takes a bold move to take a player who jumped right in, played a season and a half, and just be like, listen, there are things you really need to work on. We're sending you to yeah. the HL. That's a tough conversation. And they communicated like. it um, well. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the decision and, and being able to convey it as, hey, this isn't a punishment. This isn't um, like we're upset with your game. This isn't, um, you know... <laughs> this isn't a step backward for you. This is and not this is where we think you have the best opportunity to become the best player in the long run. Yeah, five years from now he'll probably look back at this time and there'll be a story written about Niels Hedlander learning from that AHL stint. Uh, let's get to the next thing. Alex, we're moving along now on the ticker. Pressure on management because we're gonna hear from them on Monday. Mention this. Um the management group to me needs to be bold this offseason. They have to be. Um, They've had 18 months now to gather information. They've made some pretty good moves. They've made some moves that I think are questionable about the future of this team. But to me, now we know this team wants to be competitive next year. I don't think I knew that 18 months ago when this management group took over. And the way they talked didn't sound like they wanted to be competitive this season. The moves have pointed us in a direction now where they have to be competitive next season. They've charted a course for next year with the Philip Aronic trade the Andre Kuzmenko re-signing, they have to win games next year. It is. It was a disaster this year to not make the playoffs. It's a disaster times five in my eyes if they don't make the playoffs next year because they've committed that much to next season. Am I putting too much into just next season? No. I, I agree with you 100%. 
And uh, I don't know if bold is the right way for right word for um, just to sort of describe how management needs to operate. Operate for me, it's creative. Yeah, I was going to say creative, and you know what? At the same time, the other word I would use here is they need to impress us with some of their moves this yeah. offseason. They really need to do that. Yeah, if they are going to be this competitive team next season, they need to impress us with what they do. Right, because being bold is. Um, it's Being bold hard. is trading for Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah, like yeah, that, like, that was a bold move from Jim, Jim Benning. Jim Benning was bold on many, many <laughs> yes, occasions. Yes, he was. Right? And um, and it just so happened to be when he had an excess of draft picks and cap space to uh, spend like a drunken sailor, right? Yeah. So management doesn't have those resources available to them right now. They're going to have to think outside the box. They're going to have to find... Um, more hidden gems. They're going to have to fi- have more recruitment wins. They're man. They, they got to find some way to get rid of cap space, man. It's not going to be easy, but boy, I'm looking at somebody like Tyler Myers, and I'm like, man, you're 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 screwed if you can't find a way to move that contract. Yeah. Like that sucks. Mm-hmm. I think on top you can still of that. make the like. Look, let me. I don't want to be over dramatic. You can still make the playoffs next season. It, even if you can't like sort of move that contract, but I'll I'll tell you this: it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier if you can find a way to ship him out and be able to do something with that cap space. I, I also look at it as like we talked about the moves: creative, impressive, bold, whatever you want to call it. If they don't make the playoffs next year, it's crazy to think that within thirty months of taking this job, not even this management group's in the hot seat. Oh yeah! If they don't make the playoffs next year, oh yeah, they are. And listen, there are things that are out of management's control that could keep them out of the playoffs. If Thatcher Demko isn't healthy and on his game next year, I don't see this team making the playoffs. Yep, that's out of management's control. If he can stay healthy and on his game throughout the season, but to counter that, I still think that's that would be their fault because yeah. look at Seattle. Seattle in their in the second year of their existence has made the playoffs with. I can't remember the exact number, but their team save percentage is like 887 or something. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, their goaltending has 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 been barely competent the whole year. And you're telling me a second-year expansion team still found a way to make the playoffs and did it comfortably? Like, if you're a management team and your bet for making the playoffs is the only way we can get in is if we get elite goaltending, you've... You've already, you've already failed. Yeah, in my opinion, Seattle. You brought it up. No goaltender on Seattle has a save percentage above nine hundred this year of the three goalies they've ran through. And, wow, that's crazy. and this that's season impressive. should prove to you that if you're reliant on like you can't solely be reliant on elite goaltending because look at what happened to Demko this year. This this is what happens to elite goaltenders sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, look at the number of high end goaltenders that Carey Price in the prime of his career had a had a season, I think it might have been the 2017-18 campaign, where he was a flat 900. You're telling me arguably the best goaltender of the last generation? If he can have, if he can be human for a whole season, anybody can be human for a whole season. Look at Jacob Markstrom. Vesna finalist last year, craps the bed for Calgary hmm. this season. Um, Tristan Jari in, in Pittsburgh had a great start. He's been, he'd become one of Pittsburgh's most important players. But then he gets hurt, and in the last 19 games that he played, he was below 900. That's, you know, one of the reasons that Pittsburgh missed the playoffs. And before you say, oh, well, you know, 
look, 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 they're a good team. Like Pittsburgh's a good team. And because they didn't get goaltending, they didn't make the playoffs. So, you know, you, you need it. Well, Pittsburgh's front office just got fired today <laughs> because yeah. of that. Yeah. So like there are consequences for this Calgary. There are like Bradtree living's future is up in the air. He may not be back next season. There's a decent chance that he gets fired. So like, you know, I, that's not going to fly as an excuse next season. No. And if that's what I'm like, we could be at a very interesting point next year, one year from today, if the Canucks do not make the playoffs because they've committed some of their future in the 18 months that this management group has been here, they've committed some of their future to being competitive next season already. They've made that bet. They made that bet when they traded for Hironic. Because, listen, Hironic's going to be good next year, and then he needs a contract after that, right? He's only yeah. got one more year. You committed to Kuzmenko. He's good, probably going to be fine next year, too. He's going to score goals for you. Probably score goals for you after that. But, like, you're betting on those guys being good in those two years that you you, need you six, gave you up need team success yeah and like for for those bets to pay off right because uh, somebody like kuzmenko great player but he's a ufa in two years so you need to win something in that window otherwise it's, it's like a pointless contract yeah right so yeah. Uh, again that's not to say that the path that management has has chosen is destined to fail because there are avenues for them to make this work be successful yep but this is a high stakes position and next season matters a lot it is, and like to me, they, this team will not miss the playoffs if Thatcher Demko is on his game. But goaltending to me is the hardest thing to bet on in hockey. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Another example: look at Freddie Anderson in Carolina. Mm. Right? Again, same sort of thing. I can't remember if he was a. I don't think he was a Vesna finalist, but he was top five goalie last year uh, across the board. Had an outstanding season, but then this year he was hurt and he. I think he had a 904 save percentage this season. Like, this happens to really good goaltenders. Yeah, fourth in Vesna voting last year. There you go. And you fall off to a 903 this season. And th- no that's the difference, right? Like, and that's the other thing. He was an 895 the year before, before being fourth in the Vesna voting. It's not like he built up to that Vesna thing. Man. Like, it, Goal, goaltenders it's the hardest are thing so to hard to. I mean, you, but it's you also the at, most important thing the Canucks are betting on for next year. They know yeah. what they have with their forward group. They know what they have to do to their defense group. They are going to make changes to defense score. They're not changing the goalie. They're they're bringing back Thatcher Demko yeah. next year, and they need him to be good. There's well, so not much only pressure that, on there's pressure on whoever's the backup. Yeah, that too. Like that's important, especially if you look at Demko. Even down the stretch here. We saw him play excellent, and then as the workload became a lot, couple there, slips. there were a couple slips, yep. and then they gave him a little bit of rest, and then it was like, all right, he, he got back to that form. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to ride him for 65 starts. Yeah, We saw him even last season start to break down a little bit, got hurt at the end of last season. Like In today's NHL, you can't ride your starter into the ground. You need uh, a backup who um, can step up and give you really competent play. I'm I'm optimistic that Spencer Martin can bounce back. So, you know, he's an option, whether it's him, whether it's Seelovs, whether it's, you know, you find uh, somebody else. But, you know, that's you're going to need that. It's not just on Demko. But, yeah, I mean, goaltending is, um, is going to be uh, essential for next year. And, and like you said, if they get it, then all of a sudden you're in a much stronger position to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's the biggest deciding factor next year for me, if they make the playoffs or not. It's, you know... It's not, is Patterson going to take another step? Is JT Miller going to play defense? Well, they also, they also do need the blue line for sure to 
and and the team's defensive form as a whole to be what it has been in the second half as opposed to the first half because even when it struggled in the first half, like let's be honest, the defense was a tire fire. And I'm not not talking just the blue line. The amount of backdoor plays that they allowed, cross seams, the penalty kill being disastrous again. We that can wasn't... see it from the press box. Like they're going to pass it to this guy in the slot who has this. We, you could see yeah. we were watching it Dude, happen. All in the front turnovers of us. that led to on man rushes oh. against. Like it was. I don't. You could have had Dominic Hasek, prime the prime mm. version of Hasek and Net, and, and he wouldn't have been able to make up for all of those defensive flaws. So. Uh, that's that's an important part of the equation too, and that's where they need to um, get much better play from uh, from the blue line. Absolutely. We'll uh, we'll wrap things up. We've already gone a little over here uh, with some odds and ends. Uh, I did want to bring up. Uh, I saw Rick Dollywell tweeting about this. I heard the same thing. Canucks are not in on SHL free agent Hardy Haman Aktel, who's probably the top. I'd say the top European prospect or top European free agent in this year's class. I'd say he's the top guy. Like you can make an argument for some players, uh, but in my eyes, best player available. Hardy Haman Actel, and he's a defenseman. Um, so they, I mentioned that they're they're not in on him. Uh, that's what I heard. Uh, Ed Dollywall reported it too, so uh, it's obviously happening. Uh, locker room clear out is Saturday. Media availability beginning at ten thirty for us to deal with all the players. That's going to be a long day going through all those players there. And then here's the interesting thing for Monday. We did get this from Canucks PR. Patrick Alvin and Rick Talkett to meet with the media on Monday. You think Rutherford's going to be there? There was no mention of him. It seems like uh, he's still up. I, like he's out in Abbotsford. He's still yeah, out doing like, things. Here's it's not the thing. like he's hiding. It, yeah, I don't think he's hiding. I just think that after the Boudreaux drama and after his criticism of the team's structure got so much play in the market, I think he's realized that like it's it's, it's best if I. And he said it in that press conference. Like I'm not gonna. I'm probably gonna be more careful about what yeah. I speak. Did he say zip it? Is that what the word? Yeah, yeah. And not only that, and plus, I think, um, I think Alvin's become a lot more active in like this is his show now, and I think Rutherford doesn't want to be dominating presence. Yes, I think that's part of it too. I think that's probably part of him in this role too. Why he's not a president and GM or something like that. Um, One more thing I wanted to get to just before we wrap up, and uh, we'll bring Alex Allard, our producer, in for this one as well. Producer Alex is going to jump in. Uh, Can we get the NHL playoffs up here, Alex, first? I just wanted to ask you, and there's still one thing that can change. Um, Colorado, who's playing Nashville tonight, they could end up jumping and swapping places with the graphic we're showing here. Uh, They could end up playing Seattle. So you can kind of pick your series here. Which one of these series, and everything's set in the East, so have you know go crazy with which one you want to go with here. Uh, Harm, we'll start with you, then we'll go to Alex after. Uh, which series to you is one that you cannot miss for the opening round of the NHL? Oh, playoffs? Rangers-Devils. Rangers-Devils, eh? Okay. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. Seeing the Hughes brothers, seeing... Man, that, that Devils team is so much fun to watch. Uh, and the rivalry between... Devils and in, in the Rangers, like that's going to be one heck of a series to watch. I'm excited for that one as well. Well, um, Alex, we'll get your take here. We got some. Uh, we need some East Coast swinging in here. Uh, and everybody in the chat, let us know what your favorite one is. Jesse says Minnesota uh, and Colorado. That would be a pretty fun one. Uh, I don't see anybody else. Alex, what do you got? Which one sticks out to you here about the can't miss series for the opening round? Can't miss series. I think it, it's out west. I think. I think it's uh, it's close between Vegas and Winnipeg and Edmonton, LA. I guess I got to be. I'm, I'm going to be a company man. I'm going Edmonton. <laughs> oh, they're going to love that in Edmonton. Yeah, I think that will be a lot of fun. I I'll Is go with anybody a excited one too. for Dallas, Seattle. 
No, I don't, I don't think, think there's much gonna... in the Central that gets me excited. <laughs> like, who's coming out of the Central? Colorado. How are they going to get there? I mean, Colorado doesn't have Landeskog, though. That's a big loss. And too, they, right. you know, they don't have Kadri driving that second line anyway. So they don't have nearly as much depth. McCarr's uncertain in terms of his injury situation. Like, this Avs team isn't the same as it was last year. Although... Mm. The problem for Minnesota is I think they're going to start the series without Eric Snack, which decimates oh. their center situation. Yeah, that's really tough. With uh, Alex, I see Drew Magnus uh, agreeing with you as well. Alex, are you going with that one just for excitement from the excitement you're going to see from those those two teams? I think those two series, they're just two, you know, they're two tight teams. You don't really know yeah. where it'll go. They've played each other well. Yeah. No, I'm with you there too. I think those are one like that's a hard one to pick, right? That's yeah. a hard one to pick. Uh, I'll just go with Toronto and, and Tampa Bay as mine, yeah. just to kind of throw another Makes one sense. in there. That's listen, my favorite time of the year is, is the that. first round oh, in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Every single oh, day yeah. you got hockey. Sometimes starting at one o'clock, rolling all the way till ten o'clock. Like I love it. I love the first round of the playoffs. It's my. Favorite I thought you were specifically talking about Toronto choking because I love that. Hey, too. I think this. Listen, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. This might be their year. To get out of the first yeah, round. I don't I, think they're see, winning that's a what cup. my brain says. That's what my brain says. Yeah. My heart hopes I'm wrong. I would love for them to run into Boston in the second round. And oh, just get no. run out of the building. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Like That would be a hilarious timeline if, if, they, if they find a way to beat Tampa. And it's like the whole Toronto sort of thing. Oh, they... They, they, they slayed like, the dragon. They slayed the dragon. Yeah. And then just to like end up getting like patted on the head by the Bruins <laughs> after the after the previous times that the Bruins have uh, beat the this Leafs core in the playoffs as well. Like that would be hilarious. That's like you know what? They would be I, the most celebrated team that's won one playoff round. Well, what was it? They'd be like, oh yeah, they earned our respect in the put handshakes. up the banner. <laughs> they put up the banner. Well, that would be the best thing. It's uh, like we we uh, got. Go ahead, Alex. Uh, Austin Matthews would get Con Smythe votes. <laughs> there one There's going to be a banner at uh, at the at the arena. Won a first round playoff series. The perfect scenario for me out in the East is yes, like Toronto wins Game Seven against the the Lightning. They do it. It's overtime. They win it, and then they get swept in the second round by the best team that we've seen in the NHL um, in a very long time. I don't know if that's better. Those like four one collapses where they like the fan base thinks. Oh, that's better. You think? Then, well, then like the Leafs are like, hold my beer. We're gonna completely blow this. Yeah, I think we'll talk Montreal. Cut to that shot. They cut to that camera outside. I don't know what they call it, Leaf Square or something like that. (laughs) And there's just it's like there's like hundreds of these hopeful Leaf fans that have just seen their dreams crushed again. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful time of the year. That's true. And we would probably see more like face paint, everybody coming out for like a game seven than you would if the team's already down three, nothing. I, yeah. Okay. That's, that's the, I'll change my thought then. I'm going to go with that being the thing like Toronto. Here's okay. So I'll flip it. My ideal situation for the East now is Toronto sweeps Tampa Bay and then loses in game seven. Because if you sweep that first round, the confidence is high. You're ready for the best team in the league. That's that's the ultimate scenario. Either that or they choke another game Okay, worst series. Round. Worst series that you see here. Uh, Dallas-Seattle. Dallas-Seattle for sure. I'm with that too. Yeah. Uh, I won't even ask you, Alex. I know you're on that one too. Um, all right. I think we'll close things out on that's that. That's like now. the one that you forget. You forget. Oh. It's going to even – you forget there's a game that night. Yeah, like, that's – And you're all hyped and you – no, like, oh, that they were playing tonight. That's the game. Yeah, that's the game where it's like, hey, there's two games going on. I don't even care what the other one is. Like, a, you know, I'm watching that one instead. Um, all right, we'll wrap things up there. I'll Long show. Oh, 
Ottinger had another 35-save <laughs> performance that they won again. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jason Robertson, two goals. Yeah, yeah we know the script. Go. We know the script. All right, we'll wrap things up uh, for another week here. Uh, we are back on Tuesday for the show. Um, I, I, I didn't really get an opportunity to do this yesterday with quads, but I just wanted to thank everybody. Um, I try and do it often here at the end of the week because it, it, this is kind of the end of the season. We had our final Canucks game of the year last night. Um, this has been a blast to see everything evolve here on YouTube. I appreciate everybody that I see the same names in the chat uh, every day. It feels like since we launched this thing, it's been pretty awesome seeing some new names pop up and now consistently show up here for the show. Uh, that's been a blast. Harm, you've been a treat to have in here every single Friday. Uh, we'll keep it going a little bit into the playoffs. Not sure how long. we got to give you a break, too. Uh, we also have to give our wallet a break from uh, your, your fee that you charge. <laughs> so uh, wanted to thank you for everything you've done this season. Anything you want to say to the folks on YouTube, everybody on the podcast, uh, you know, we're happy to have you. It's been a couple of years now with you in the Canucks combo, and it's been a blast having you here. Yeah, honestly, man, it's um, it, it's so much fun doing this every week through the season, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity that you guys give for having me on the podcast, and uh, grateful to the fans for um, you know, sticking through it. Right, it's not easy being a Canucks fan, but. <laughs> The loyalty that you... Especially when you commit like this. You commit to come watch us on YouTube and stuff. Like, that's a different thing than just wearing a hat. Exactly. And so, I've said this before, but the payoff when eventually this will turn, right? Things aren't... I promise, things things will turn. Things aren't always as bad as, as it seems in the moment. It will turn. And when it turns, the feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you followed a team from the ground up, that you watch this core grow, seeing the individual sort of maturity from players like Patterson and Hughes turn promise and potential into reality, that will be so rewarding when this team is good again, and it's going to make everything worth it. So, uh, you know, I just I just want to drive home that no matter how you know how high or low things get, it'll all be worth it in the end. And just want to thank um, all all the Canucks fans for for keeping up and, and supporting the content and um, and always being so passionate. I love it. I think uh, that's also good job security from you because I think it's going to be a while until we see that Stanley Cup here in Vancouver. You might get uh, another forty years out of your career of that just from that last little speech there, Hart. I hope it happens <laughs> in my lifetime. Yeah, I, like hey, you're too young look, to be saying that. Exa- well, come on. I mean, knowing the history of this franchise. Oh man, like, <laughs> it's a fair question to wonder for Gosh. anybody who's born right now. No, it's fair. <laughs> it's fair. You never know. Um, yeah, there, makes- there were Leaf fans saying that in the '80s. Oh gosh, uh, Alex. Anything you want to say to the YouTube folk before we get out of this? this? Is kind of our end of the year show. We obviously we're going to continue next week. I've mentioned it Tuesday, Thursday, uh, and expecting you on Friday as well. Um, anything you want to mention here, Alex? I know you've been. Uh, everybody's enjoyed you as a part of the show this year because of the YouTube and, and you producing this show. Yeah, I just mentioned it there in the chat. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. This show would suck without fan engagement, that's for sure. So we, we every show, we need all that fan, all you guys coming in and chatting and bringing the topics. A lot. Of, how many times did the chat dictate what you guys talked about? <laughs> you guys had a whole plan, graphics and everything, and then the chat would start going off on Tyler Mott or something like this, and you guys would have to pivot. And it, the, the fan engagement has been awesome. It's great seeing all the same names in the chat and uh and everyone knows the show and it's been really really neat and uh, jumping in and being part of the canucks community this year 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to say big thanks to you as well, Alex. You've been a, an awesome addition uh, to what this show was. I think we've evolved because of having you as a producer uh, with your graphics, with the work you put in behind the scenes. Uh, I hope everybody in the chat uh, recognizes how much uh, you bring to this show as well. And uh, I'll tell you what. I don't think we'd be on YouTube without you, Alex, because uh, <laughs> no offense to Aaron, but we've tried a bunch of Aaron, and the shows have not worked out as well. Alex, you deserve a ton of praise, uh, and Aaron's our clip master, that's for sure. Um, so thank you to you, Harm, to you, Alex, to all the great folks. Uh, I do want to say this as well before we get out of here. We appreciate everybody supporting the show. It's incredible uh, to see on social media, whatever it may be, but the folks that you know contribute to the Patreon, the folks that contribute by seeing the people that sponsor this show, Zephyr Epic, uh, they're, they've been great. Betway, the support we got from them throughout the season. Uh, I tell you what, Atlas Goods, the great folks. Folks, just go out and try. Try the pork rinds. I'm going to tell you, I know people don't go out there and choose pork rinds. Try these ones. They're excellent out of the air fryer. Uh, these these companies, these people, that's what it more is. It isn't the companies that are sponsoring us. It's the people we're dealing with. The people that I deal with at Zephyr Epic have been incredible for years now. They've been supporting us. Uh, our friends over at Atlas Goods as well for years now. They've been supporting us. The poll question, everything. It's the people from those companies that have been awesome to deal with. Uh, please, if that's anything you can do, support those companies that are supporting us. Because without them, honestly, we would not be doing this show. Uh, because harm charges too much, and I don't have that money to pull out of my pocket. Stop it. <laughs> uh, all right. Support those folks, the great folks supporting us. Uh, we'll be back next week. We are going to take Monday off. It's going to be a big weekend with Canucks News. We'll have a huge show on Tuesday to wrap it all up. Um, so we'll we'll close it out there. Close it out the season. Um, for our producer, Alex Lard, for you, Harmon Dial, for me, Chris Faber, this has been the final episode of the 2022-23 season for the Canucks Conversation. We'll see you folks on Tuesday. Light it up, Alex! Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim?